John chapter 20 from uh, verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands inside. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John chapter 20. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realise it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, 
Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciple with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them he had said these things to her. John chapter 20 from uh, verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands inside. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God, Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. I'm sure that this would be the case for most people sitting here this morning, but when you think back on your life, the saddest moments, the the toughest moments that you've been through in your life will almost always be to do with the death of someone who's been close to you. Uh, When I was 15, a friend of mine drowned while we were out surfing. In my final year of high school, one of my best friends was killed in a car accident just before the HSC. The whole world mourned when Princess Diana died and this was the picture that really captured it for me. Here's a police officer standing in in a line as the funeral procession goes past, wiping tears from his eyes. Death is a terrible thing. I visited a friend a few years ago who had just been at a funeral of a workmate, a guy who was in his early 40s and had died. And my friend walked in and saw me there and she was angry and she was going to vent this on somebody. And she said, gee, I hope you never do funerals like that one. And I said, what what do you mean? What happened at the funeral? And she said it was one of those let's celebrate his life funerals which just seemed to completely ignore what everybody in the room to be tr- knew to be true. He was dead and it was a tragedy. So death is a terrible thing. It robs us of relationships it, and it seems to be so final and so permanent. 
Two days ago we were here celebrating Good Friday, remembering that Jesus died. And it's almost pitiful to see the impact that it has on his disciples. They are devastated by the death of Jesus. They're hiding in a room, locked away, terrified that they are going to be arrested, but also just now hopeless because their leader has gone. They'd stood at a distance and watched the horrible death of Jesus on the cross. He was the man they trusted. He was the man that they'd given up everything to follow. He's the man that they had believed in, that they'd put their hope in. He's the man who they believed would save the world. And now he's dead. For them, all hope came to an end as those nails were being driven into his hands. Hope vanished as Jesus gasped his last breath and gave up his spirit. See, like everyone else, the disciples know that when you're dead, you're dead. I'm sure they walked away on that Good Friday afternoon feeling that sick feeling in their stomach that you felt. They walked away on that Friday afternoon probably thinking that life was now completely meaningless. The death of Jesus had taken place on the Friday and the Sabbath began at sunset on the Friday night so there was no time for a proper burial. His body was hastily taken down from the cross and placed in a tomb that had been donated by a man named Joseph from a tiny little town called Arimathea. He was one of the religious leaders and he'd been opposed to the crucifixion of Jesus. Nothing could be done on the Sabbath. So it wasn't until the Sunday morning that the women could go and do some kind of a proper burial. It wasn't an embalming. That wasn't the culture there. What they did was just try to put something on the rotting body to make it smell a little bit better. And that's what the women went to do on that Sunday morning. As soon as the sun had come up, the women who'd been part of that group, who'd been with Jesus, who'd been taught by Jesus... They'd taken their spices to prepare his body for a proper burial. And when they arrived at the tomb, well, the body's gone. That certainly wasn't what they were expecting to find. They were expecting to find the body still in there. Quite obviously, the man had died. Where was he going to be going? But the body had gone. And did you notice that it doesn't even cross their minds that Jesus would have been raised from the dead? They run back and tell the other disciples. Look at what it says, chapter 20, verse number 2. So she came running back to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, that's John, the one who's writing the gospel. He calls himself that because he doesn't want to use his own name in the gospel. They've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. No thought that he might be alive. No thought that he's been raised from the dead. They're not running back there saying, fantastic news, Jesus is alive. They're running back there saying, someone has stolen the corpse. A few of the disciples race back to the tomb to see if it's true, and it was. The body's gone. And again, it doesn't dawn on them that Jesus might be alive. For Mary, this must have been traumatic enough seeing Jesus die on the cross. And now to compound that trauma by having the body stolen, she has no idea that Jesus is alive. Even when she meets the resurrected Jesus, even when she's standing there right in front of him, 
Look at what it says. Verse 14. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realise that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener. She said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I'll get him. She's looking at Jesus through her tears and she thinks he's the gardener. It's really clear from the gospel accounts, isn't it? They're not expecting Jesus to come back. Sure, Jesus has told them repeatedly that he's going to go to Jerusalem and die on a cross and then rise again. They had no idea what he meant by that. And they certainly weren't expecting it to happen. See, like everybody else, they know that when you're dead, well, you're dead. The resurrection of Jesus is more than just a happy ending that gets tacked on to the story. That's what a lot of people seem to think, that Christians had a terrible story to tell, but they tried to brighten it up a little bit by giving Jesus a resurrection from the dead, as though it's just the, and the all, and they all lived happily ever after part tacked onto the story. Sure, it is a happy ending, but the significance is far more wide-reaching than that. When the disciples saw Jesus alive, they were no doubt stunned and excited, but at that moment, everything seems to have fallen into place for them. They've actually understood a whole bunch of things that Jesus had been saying while he'd been teaching them. Things were starting to make sense. Things that they hadn't understood before were now clear. See, seeing Jesus alive, well, it confirmed two things for them. It confirmed that Jesus was who he said he was. Jesus came claiming that he was the Son of God, that he was God himself kept saying that he and the Father were one and that he was the Messiah, the one who'd been sent by God to save people. That were the claims that enraged the religious leaders. They despised Jesus for saying those things. They were the claims that got them plotting for his death. That's why they wanted him killed. But it was a claim that kind of mystified the disciples. They didn't really get it. They didn't really understand completely. That is until they see the risen Jesus standing in front of them. And then they get it. Then they understand. Jesus had told them a number of times that he would die and that he would rise again from the dead. For them it just seemed like an unbelievable claim. But now, here is Jesus standing before them. But it also proved that he do what he said he'd do. So when Jesus talked about dying on the cross, he wasn't just saying, ah, this is all going to end badly. That's not what Jesus was saying. It's not just pessimistic talk. It's not as if something's going to happen and Jesus has now lost control of the situation. Jesus had been planning his death on the cross, had been heading in that direction. In Luke's gospel, it's chapter 9, less than halfway through the book that it says, Jesus resolutely sets out for Jerusalem. That's where he's going. This is the work that he's come to do. Back in 2013, President Obama declared the 22nd of November 2013 to be a day of remembrance for John F. Kennedy. 22nd of November was the date on which Kennedy's assassination had taken place. And 2013 was the 50th anniversary of his death. 
This was an official proclamation from the President of the United States. It's released, it's legislation that has been passed, signed by the President and witnessed. All flags were to be flown at half-staff or half-mast on that day. Uh, President Obama had a written declaration that was presented to it. 455 words in that proclamation, three of them referring to Kennedy's death. Three. Those words were tragically cut short. Doesn't mention, mention the manner in which he died. Doesn't mention how tragic his death was. That's all that they said in those 455 words, three words about his death. Tragically cut short. The gospel writers devote at least one quarter of their book about the life of Jesus to his death on the cross. They don't just say his life was tragically cut short. No, they tell why he died, how he died, and how he rose again from the dead. See, Jesus' death achieved something. It wasn't a senseless tragedy. His death is the means by which forgiveness is made available. And his resurrection is the hope of eternal life. Remember the story of Lazarus rising from the dead? Before he rose from the dead, Jesus spoke to Martha and said these words, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Martha said, yes, I do. But I bet she didn't really understand what it was that Jesus was saying. But I bet she understood it when she found out that Jesus had been raised from the dead. I bet that conversation came flooding back and all of a sudden made sense for the first time. That Jesus is the resurrection and the life. You probably heard the story about uh, Harry Houdini. Houdini was a, a, a magician and uh, illusionist and uh, an escape artist. He was convinced that the spiritualists and the mediums that were around in his day were just con artists and were ripping money off people. And they claimed that they could communicate with the dead and Houdini said that that was actually impossible. He made an arrangement with his wife that whoever was the first to die, the other would try to communicate with them and the person who died would also to try and communicate. They had a prearranged code that only the two of them knew. Houdini died in 1926 and for the next 17 years his wife made repeated attempts to communicate with him and for that code to be exchanged. All of them were unsuccessful. But shortly before she died she declared that the whole exercise had been a failure. Well I want to say that the whole exercise was completely unnecessary. Jesus died and rose again from the dead. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Jesus had already come back from the dead to prove that that was possible. When I was young, we lived in a little country town up near Mudgee and uh, my dad was the teacher at the school. There was only a small number of children in the school. Most of them had the same last name as me, which was unusual. And uh, 
my mum used to come across and do the sewing classes and she came across to do the sewing class one Easter just be, one uh, year just before Easter. So she's sitting around with a group of students and they're all sewing pencil cases or something, I'm not sure what it was, but stitching away and she was showing them how to do it. And she said to the kids, does anyone know what Easter's about? And they gave all the kind of usual answers, you know, that it's Easter eggs and Easter bunnies and holidays and all those sorts of things. And my mum said, does anyone know what Easter is really about, though? And one boy boldly said, Easter's about when Jesus died on the cross. And then it all went quiet and kids went back to their stitching. But there was a little girl who was sitting next to my mother and she leaned over to my mother and said, I heard he didn't stay dead for very long. She wasn't sure, but she thought that that might have been a secret that nobody else had actually cottoned on to yet. But the fact is, Jesus has been raised from the dead. That's what we celebrate here at Easter. And his resurrection proves that he is the Son of God. It proves that he's paid the penalty for sin. And it proves that he can give eternal life to anyone who's willing to place their trust in him. It's not a secret. It's something that everybody needs to hear so that they can place their trust in him too.